This is WNXS News with your anchors, Kit Harding, Jake E, ISO on Esports, and Diz on Product Forecast. Welcome to WNXS News. I'm Jake E. And I'm Kit Harding. Thank you for joining us. Our top story. April 10th and 11th saw the most recent MPL League weekend. This one highlighted some of the issues in the structure of the pro and rivals leagues. Rather than use the whole season standings to determine who stays and who goes, the standings are instead used to determine which of two high-stakes tournaments players compete in. The top players continue on the MPL, while those who didn't do quite as well drop down to rivals. Which means that in this tournament structure... Watching the final gauntlet is basically watching people get fired live on stream in front of anyone who wanted to watch. And not only were they forced to play for their spot in the MPL and Rivals Leagues, but the players who were suddenly out of a job were still forced to play the entirety of their match on stream. They were not allowed to concede, but contractually had to play the match to the bitter end. And after having that very personal moment shown to the world at large... The Magic Esports Twitter offered up farewells that read, strangely like obituaries. Apparently, Wizards believes that losing a tournament and thus your job is akin to death. But Magic players are like Arclight Phoenix. Hopefully we'll keep seeing them in the high levels of the Magic community. Now, all of this would be bad enough. But we were then faced with another example of Wizards' inattention to its players, as the Twitter account confused Ali Warfield, a.k.a. Amiibo, with other not-male Magic players like Emma Handy and Autumn Burchette, by suggesting that Embercleave, a card Warfield did not like and did not play, was her main legacy. It's not really a good look when Watsy has already come under fire for ignoring marginalized groups in the community. When confronted on this issue, they denied it. They claimed they had seen Warfield tweet about Embercleave and chosen it on that basis. When she had, in reality, only tweeted about it a few times, and those tweets were about how much she hated the card. And the tweet is still up, and they haven't acknowledged it again. Because apparently, if you aren't a man, you're interchangeable. For a company that insists it wants to have a more diverse player base, they're certainly not doing anything to suggest they mean that. To make one mistake might be regarded as a misfortune. To make more looks like carelessness. And to make this many looks basically like tokenization. Pretty much. This all came right before we heard about another removal from the Magic Digital program, the Early Access event. This event was previously used to allow streamers to show off the newest set coming to Magic Arena for a day before the set fully dropped but was announced on short notice. 36 hours before the Strixhaven early access event, to be precise. To have been terminated going forward. This came as a complete surprise to the content creators who often were part of the event, and was met with negative responses. Which is not a surprise, considering those streamers had some of their biggest stream numbers during early access events, which meant that this cancellation cuts directly into their incomes. This has also drawn more criticism about Watsi's treatment of its biggest asset, the player base, and is something to keep an eye on for sure. Our next story. 
Throughout the Magic community, there is perhaps no statement more agreed upon than support your LGS. The last year or so has made that, at best, difficult overall. Much like it did everything else. Indeed. We decided to speak with an LGS owner about the hurdles they've had to overcome this year, and how they've done so. I'm here with Jennifer Bedell, owner of the Atomic Empire in Durham, North Carolina. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. We've been wanting to get a uh, store owner on the pod for a long time just to get the perspective of the last, well, let's just call it what it is, crap show of a year that we've had. That's a polite way of putting it. <laughs> right? <laughs> um. Why don't why don't you give us a little bit of background about the Atomic Empire, about how long you guys have been open, how you got started and everything? Sure. Um, we started uh, in a little hole-in-the-wall store in Durham in 2006. We were online a little bit prior to that from 2003, but in 2006, we opened our first brick-and-mortar store. And in 2012, we moved to Atomic Empire, which is 12,000 square feet and across the street from what used to be South Square Mall. And so it's kind of in a more commercial area. Um, and yeah, we've just been chugging along, you know, uh, doing game store stuff, selling product, holding events. We can seat 200 Magic players pretty much without breaking a sweat. So we've enjoyed holding some of the bigger events in the state for a while. In the time that you all been open, you've held all sorts of events as far as the bigger magic events. You've done uh, just you've done all sorts of things. You've done PPTQs, I believe. Um, you've done GP qualifiers. Uh, but obviously that all came to a screeching halt around February, March of last year when COVID hit. In addition to reducing your live events, what else did you have to what other steps did you have to take as far as store operation goes? So it was really interesting how it all started to come down because uh, you mentioned that we've held some big magic events. And the uh, the first weekend of March last year was Star City Regionals at our store, which we're always really excited to hold. And it, w it's, it was a modern format. We were really pumped about it. And we only got a turnout of like 150, which was pretty anemic. And we started to hypothesize that, you know, this is COVID thing, maybe that's depressing attendance. And it was the very next weekend we were supposed to hold Crate Cup, which is a huge X-Wing thing. And um, I was actually on my way out of town for another kind of thing. And I was talking to the store repeatedly on the phone that Thursday and Friday. And us just going back and forth about, like, are we going to hold this thing? Like, we have, and we started to look at where people were coming from. We said, we've got people flying in from Texas. Like, is this a time that we want to encourage people to fly outside of their, their home area? And we canceled that event at the last minute. We just decided that we had to be on the right side of history. And it was sort of that leading edge of when everything started to go down um, because it was, I think, only a week or so later that lockdown orders came down from Durham. And it was interesting to watch the municipalities kind of lead the charge on that. Like the Durham mayor took a lot of heat, but he was ahead of the the curve when it came to um, making some some mandates to get stores and restaurants closed. So right from the get go, um, things started to change really rapidly. And at first we, I think at first we got closed and we weren't allowed to do basically any kind of business with customers. 
but you know, in reading the executive order and everything, we were able to keep the e-commerce side open. And then after a few weeks, we were allowed to open for curbside only, but no shopping in the store. So we operated that way for a while um, before we were allowed to start to have uh, some some low level, like like reduced foot traffic again. Um, and so it's kind of been a constant adaption process on our part, because every time we feel like we have made a plan for the new normal and how things are going to operate, something would come down from the government and would, or, or we would learn something about how COVID is transmitted or whatever that would just completely change everything. And you just wake up every morning trying to make a new plan for how to go forward. Since you all were able to shift fairly quickly into limited customer interaction within the customer interaction inside the stores, uh, has the customer base that you've all had been able to do anything, go above and beyond or do anything special to help you all out? Because Y'all are a local business, and a lot of local businesses suffered pretty heavily with lockdown restrictions and everything like that. We've actually been grateful and completely beholden to our customer base, which is so wonderful that, you know, we hear from people all the time like, oh, I know you guys can't open the game store, but I just wanted to come out and buy something and support you. And it's been really heartwarming to see how everybody comes out to make sure that we can still be around once things get back to normal. And at the beginning of this, you know, I think that we felt isolated and alone and very afraid, to be honest, because we didn't know how many months we could withstand a lockdown. Um, Nobody had sort of planned for that in their projections for what would happen in 2020. It didn't occur to us, like, what if we have to close the game store and or the the game room (laughs) and cease all in-person operations or and we were we felt alone in that at first and it was just so uplifting when people started coming out of the woodwork and making sure that they were supporting us and asking us what they could do and buying gift cards that they didn't need just to make sure that we had cash flow and everything so i think that it was just one more example of how the gaming community is is unique and really strong in its ability to come together and decide what's important and then go out and support that thing That's always a good thing. We've seen a lot of the community coming together uh, over the last year with like Loading Ready Runs Desert Bus and other big charity drives. Um, You mentioned earlier that some of your bigger things were some of your big magic tournaments, even your FNMs, your Warhammer days, your D&D, the X-Wing event that you had to cancel. Uh, Seeing as you haven't really been able to do those, how has that impacted your business? Well, obviously, it's not great, right? Um, and and obviously, there's lost revenue there. I think the biggest impact on our business, though, is in staff morale, to be honest, and the way that we feel about doing business. Because when we get a chance to get in there in the game room and we're teaching games and we're facilitating games and we're like bringing people together to do what they love, there's an energy in the store that's so positive. And we get a lot more social time with, with our customer base and our community then. And more than anything, I feel like the impact's been psychological that we still come to work and we still believe in what we do, but we just can't wait to get back to doing that core thing that kind of made everybody want to work there in the first place. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Um, so you'd say that the psychological part of just not having that full experience has been the harder part for you all to overcome, both staff and business-wise? Yeah, I think it really is because a lot of what makes working at a game store worthwhile are those community interactions that make it 
that, that really differentiate working at a game store from working at Walgreens, right? Because you still can go to work and sell things right. and, and there's still some interaction, but a lot of that's been reduced with people just coming in to shop and not being really encouraged to linger or throw down a game on a table or whatever. Um, and so I think that it takes some of the heart out of it and we are just really anxious and sort of chomping at the bit to, to get back to that full, full experience that we were delivering. Right. Uh, shift and tack a little bit. Uh, you guys are part of the WPN and you interact with a lot of other distributing companies. Have those companies been able to do anything to give you guys an extra boost over the last year since you haven't been able to host tournaments or live events? You know, I know Wizards takes a lot of heat for whether or not they really support the local game store, but I know that on the inside, I feel like they're making every effort. Um, they shipped everybody some free product to help us get through early in the summer. And they have continued to include, I mean, I know that they're converting customers as quickly as they can to online play, which makes a lot of business sense for them. But they're continuing to include stores in trying to make opportunities for online play and keep that going. And so I've appreciated their efforts to keep stores in the loop and not just abandon us as COVID hit. Um, but I've been really surprised by the support from places like Image Comics, Aftershock Comics, uh, even though comic publishers have been really, really badly hit by COVID. I feel like they also feel a close responsibility to, to do whatever they can to support the stores that still bring those products in. Um, but yeah, every, every last bit's been appreciated. It's good to hear that they that all the companies are willing to reach out and give their partner businesses a boost. Uh, you, as things are currently standing with the vaccinations rolling out, with um, with mandates being kind of shifted around regionally, uh, do you all specifically have a timeline for when you'll be able to fully reopen to the public, host live events, or just have people throw down their games again? I think that what we're going to see is a sort of gradual reopening where at first, you know, I know restaurants are already open for, for dine-in and a lot of game stores around here are, are open where you can sit with your families at a, you know, six foot distance from other tables, much like restaurants. I think that for Atomic, what we're going to see is sort of that same progression of at first you'll see uh, the game rooms open, but we're not hosting formal events because we're not really encouraging people to um, mix with non-household members at first. Um, in North Carolina, we just, they just opened vaccinations to the general public where you don't have to have a special exception on. And so the way we see it is it's going to take a couple of weeks for a lot of people to filter through those vaccination lines. And then, um, many of them will have to wait a month for their second vaccine. And then maybe a couple of weeks after that, we're going to see a lot of people hit, hit their max immunity. And I think that that is a time at which we would really start to think about loosening up a little bit and, um, allowing people to to come in and stay. I know that um, a lot of our staff is expecting that sort of max immunity around the first or second week of May. And mm -hmm. I know that for us, a big motivator in staying closed and keeping operations really limited is that we have so many staff and their family members who are at high risk of negative complications from COVID. So protecting our staff has been a serious motivator in us. Kind of, we have that, of, of everyone, I think we have the really minimal 
operations and and that's been we just don't want to see anybody uh, on staff get hurt or their families have a negative outcome so when you talk about timeline it's a little bit soft because we're going to see how those vaccine lines are going and how many people are vaccinated and we also want to see north carolina continue to have a positive test percentage you know in the in the low single digits would be great because we don't want to see surges from these other variants so Right. That's a long story to say that I'm not comfortable committing to a timeline, but we're, the, we're keeping a, a close eye on everything and those metrics so that everybody on our staff feels comfortable having more people in the store. That makes sense. Um, is there anything that your customers can do uh, that they're not doing to help you all get to that point more quickly? I'm guessing most of our customers are already doing this, but I'd say get vaccinated. The faster that we can um, get as many people vaccinated as we can, especially since kids under 16 can't be vaccinated yet and they form, you know, a large percentage of gamers and people we want to be able to have back in the store, the more people who do have vaccines and are not going to contribute to community spread, the more confident we can be in having people back in the store. And in the meantime, just keep doing what everybody's doing, you know, shop local, um, Keep an eye on the products that you're that you're enthusiastic about because in-store gaming is coming back and it's just a matter of time. Okay. Uh, I think that's about all we have for you. Where can you be found on social media or online if people want to uh, take a look at your stock? Sure thing. Uh, we have a fully functional e-commerce website, atomicempire.com. And we're also on Facebook slash Atomic Empire. We have a, uh, a group. Uh, that we run on Facebook for store fans, both local and abroad. And we, uh, during COVID, have established a pretty hopping Discord. So if you hit us up on one of those other mechanisms, we'll get you uh, an invite to the Discord. All right. Uh, that's about all. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. The store's website and Discord invite can be found in the show notes. We have a rare break from competitive magic, which gives us just enough time to get ready for the next arena open, which ISO will tell us about after this break. Howdy, friends. It's your good old friend Frank here, and I'm here to tell y'all about all these great deals we got in honor of Strixhaven becoming available. I can't think of no better place to bring yourself and get your singles. We got all the cards you gon' want. We got all the cards you gon' need. Come on in, we got special going on. Two shock lanes will get you any two other singles from Strixhaven. But the key is, you gotta have the shock lanes on you when you come on down. We gotta see them. We can't be sending you home with no cards without cards. Just come on down, come see me, tell them Frank sent you on 10th Street Market or our second location. And we're back to hear ISO tell us about the Arena Open. ISO? Thanks, Kit. Previous listeners of WNXS News will have heard a lot about these events, but this is the first time we're getting one with strict saving cards available. The format will be sealed due heavily to the popularity of it and the February Arena Open. This event will consist of two days of Strixhaven Limited. Day 1 will have the option of either Best of 1 or Best of 3. 
For those playing in the best of one format, participants will get the Rowan Kenrith digital card sleeves and will need seven wins in order to proceed to day two. The best of three players will be given the Will Kenrith sleeves and will require four match wins in order to qualify for day two. Participants at day one can enter as many times as they want until they get the required wins per entry. If you want to get both sets of sleeves, you can play in both events or qualify for day two. Entry fees are 22,500 gold or 4,500 gems for either event, and day one of each event carries the possibility of gems for your wins. The more you win, the more gems you get. Day two has no entry fee and is the only best of three format. Players will be given a new sealed pool with which to build. If players get at least one win, they get a minimum of 2,000 gems. Top prizes are $2,000 for seven wins, so there's plenty of motivation for people to play the event through. This event will be held May 8th to 9th. Jank? Thanks, Isa. Channel Fireball, one of the longest standing sources of both Magic Singles and Magic content, is undergoing a change. Instead of selling card singles, they are converting to a marketplace function, similar to that of TCGplayer.com. However, instead of individuals selling their singles, this service will be used by registered business partners. This change was announced via an article on ICV2.com and was accompanied with a tweet from noted Magic Legend and Channel Fireball associate, LSV. This is part of the new CFB partnership with Good Games, who will be handling the buy list for the site going forward. Any and all store credit for CFB will be good on the marketplace as well. This is the latest in a series of changes to CFB's business model, as they have previously introduced content subscriptions and a breakbox website. The main reason that CFB has decided to not sell singles anymore, per the tweet from LSV, is that they did not feel comfortable doing that and allowing other stores to do it through them as they felt they would be unfair. What does this mean for online magic businesses going forward? Only time will tell. A somewhat unwelcome presence made its way back into the magic stratosphere recently. David Levitt, known not so much for his magic content as his temper tantrum over not being given an electric toothbrush for one cent at Target, decided to make his name known for yet another tantrum. Apparently, this past March, he was opening three boxes of Zendikar Rising set boosters, and one of them was missing a buy-a-box promo. Rather than contact the Watsy product replacement department, as most mature adults would do, David ran a spam bot program. He programmed it to respond to several MTG-related hashtags, including MTG Strixhaven and just plain old MTG. This led to some humorous interactions in the political spectrum, what with a congresswoman with those same initials. The bot responded to any post using those hashtags, including Watsy statements on pressing social issues, random comments about any given magic set, or other content creators' tweets promoting their own work. It even hit tweets that didn't have any of the related hashtags, including tweets about recent tragedies in their wider world. When confronted about his use of spamming, David responded only with, I'm letting the whole world know. Among the recent negative aspects of the magic community, at least this one is good for a solid eye roll. Our final story. The newest batch of secret layers has been announced, so we'll throw it to Diz to tell us all about it. Diz? Thank you, Jank. This is an especially crazy drop going by the name Dr. Layer Secretorium. There are eight different layers, the vast majority of which are land-based. The first five are all called Culture Shock and are each based on one of the five shards of Alara. 
Each of these will contain the three shock lands that have two of the colors for that shard, complete with new art and flavor text. Each of these five will only be available in non-foil editions. The sixth of the land layers is the second secret layer to contain the five basic lands, albeit this time in a wildly different manner. These basics are all full text cards and appropriately named the Voracious Reader. When I say full text, I mean full text, top to bottom of the cards. Each basic has the rules text of how they were printed, and that's it. This set comes in either foil or non-foil, and has a bundle option to get 10 of each basic instead of just one. But that's not all. There's still two more layers to go, just as different as the culture shocks are alike. The Our Show is Friday Can You Make It layer contains five cards that are drawn in the style of 1960s concert posters. This layer contains a copy each of Gamble, Decree of Pain, Nature's Lore, Preordain, and Wrath of God, and is only available in non-foil. The eighth and final layer for this drop is simply titled Showcase Strixhaven. This layer has six cards that are in the same style of the Strixhaven Mystical Archive cards. The cards featured for this layer are Fractured Identity, All is Dust, Fire Covenant, Fracturing Gust, Artifact Mutation, and Drown in the Lock, and are available in either foil or non-foil. The Secretarium will be available for pre-order from April 26th all the way through May 28th, so there's plenty of time for anyone interested. Kit? That's all for this edition. We'll see you next time. Same time, new news.